You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Yes, at the time of the evening where you join us on your popular show, Legal Talk. And Legal Talk this evening features none other than someone that's very popular with you, our very own attorney, Hafez Muhammad Kuvadia. And alhamdulillah, he is someone that we really embrace and celebrate on this platform. How are you doing this evening, Hafez Muhammad Kuvadia, attorney, and also the listeners? Let me greet you with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How's the evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to yourself and your esteemed listeners on Marcus Saba this beautiful Friday evening. Alhamdulillah, with the puzzle and karam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm doing well. How are you doing, Shabbat? Alhamdulillah, all the better to have you on the platform and, uh, you know, allow me to congratulate you for the new slot that you have on another platform, Dawa in Focus. And also, you know, around the world, uh, you had this in, uh, I think, in Florida, Miami, where everyone was listening to you and uh, many other parts of the Arab world also being called upon. And mashallah, serving the Ummah with a distinction. Uh, we really feel and embrace you and celebrate you on that, uh, Muhammad. Jazakallah khair. It's over the years, alhamdulillah, having the experience on, of being on your platform and a few other platforms that has given me the opportunity. So we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for using us in the field of da'wah and whatever little bit of knowledge we have and experience that we have uh, uh, experienced over the years, alhamdulillah, we are now able to uh, teach and educate and use that for the purposes of da'wah. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair. Your kind words, you know, always, uh, Muhammad. Uh, you know, this is something is so gratifying. No matter what you do in in life, you know. Uh, I mean, I've been p- privileged from a very young age, indeed, that I was captured into dawah by none other than Sheikh Didas Rahimullah. Took me away from my mainstream media where I was with the uh, Natal newspapers, but brought me into the Islamic side of it, and I saw a different world altogether, getting conscientized. And then, you know, the reality set in that where the Quran says, burhanukum in kuntum Bring me a proof if you're truthful. And there it happened. We had to go and, you know, talk to people and give them proofs and ask them for the proofs. And it turned out to be, you know, a world that already brought us into tune with the Prophet Wasallam. What was your feeling? Gee, so, you know, it reminds me also of the verse of the Quran where Allah says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ومن أحسن قولا ممن دعا إلى الله وعمل صالحا وقال إنني من المسلمين والله تعالى who is better in speech than invites to the way of our Lord and does good deeds and declares that he is a Muslim so of course from all the kalam and the speech and the world rhetoric at the end of the day when we when we when we share what Allah tells us and what Nabi Sallallahu has shown us this is the best of speeches. So alhamdulillah, as much as we have our day jobs, as much as we have things that keep us busy through the day, we should always find an opportunity to reach out, especially living in a non-Muslim community, non-Muslim environment. Allah has placed us here with a particular purpose. It's not as if we have just come here to uh, to, to, to build uh, castles and homes and palatial homes and that we are not going to be given anything of immortality. We're all going to die. So, yes, let's use an opportunity every day where we can to promote Islam and put our best foot forward when it comes to promoting and spreading the deen of Islam. Now, Muhammad, I want to, uh, you know, perhaps uh, 
get an opinion from you. Have you ever met anyone, you know, when you go and uh, you start bringing up Dawa and say, no, 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 please, man, give me a break, brother. Give me a break. I've got no time for all that. Uh, talk something else. Uh, have you found uh, any obnoxious uh, human beings uh, doing that to you, Muhammad? You know, sometimes I, uh, it's embarrassing to say I could. I, I found it in our own Muslim people and I've not really seen that in non-Muslims. Okay, you do have ignorant people when it comes to that, uh, people that are rather objectionists, people that just want to argue and debate also over certain issues. But I found that, you know, sometimes our Muslims, ourselves are our greatest enemies, and that we need to instill a love for this religion first. And you can't offer something if you yourself don't appreciate what you're doing. If you don't have an innate love for the deen, and how are you going to express that to somebody else? If you yourself do not educate yourself, empower yourself, understand what this deen is about, you can't, they say in English, you can't give something that you don't have. If you don't have this within yourself, you don't have that fire burning about this deen, then I feel that your dawah becomes also ineffective accordingly. So the most important thing is islah of ourselves. The Quran tells us, Ku and fusakum wa first. Consider and save yourself from the fire of Jannah before you want to save your family, before you save your family, before you save your community. So everything starts from within ourselves. You know, we should have, look at the passion that Sheikh Ahmed had for this world. Every opportunity would not slip it by. There would be somebody sitting next to him in a plane, somebody sitting next to him in a bus. And he would give somebody a lift just so that he could engage him for half an hour and use this opportunity of tower. So... I think that we need to inculcate such values in everybody. Everybody needs to be a natural die. Everybody needs to know the fundamentals of doing dawah. He needs to be passionate about what is it that he's doing in an effort that he can, he is able to spread the message of Islam. And, and like I say earlier, we are not living in a Muslim environment. We're living in a non-Muslim environment. And we should be using that to our advantage. We should be saying, Alhamdulillah, Allah, you've put us in this situation. This is something that you have decreed. We have not decreed this. Allah decreed for everybody. Some people he put to, to, to stay in Gaza. Some people he put to, to stay in Mecca and Medina. Some people he put to stay in Durban and Johannesburg. And yet we are a minority in this country with religious freedoms, with indulgences that you can't believe. People come from other parts of the world and they say, you mean the Azan is loud five times a day? Alhamdulillah. What ni'mah, what blessings we're able to, 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 to wear the clothes and the libas of Muslims every day and we're able to talk about this religion without a fear and a backlash. So I would implore all listeners as much as you know they can get involved in the field of dawah, even if it only means that you would be talking to your work colleagues, talking to your domestics, talking to your employees, just, just find a way to initiate that and you'll see how it grows, and Allah will put barakah in your other phase. Yeah, Muhammad, well said there. And I was just thinking aloud, uh, you know, you look at the Indian scenario, that the Muslims that make up uh, 10% of the Indian uh, population. And I was wondering, uh, maybe did they miss a trick or two? Uh, you know, they failed to convert India into a 100% Muslim uh, country. Uh, perhaps the dawah wasn't uh, that, uh, you know, intense. What's your thoughts? Uh, you know, Allah knows best how um, and why and how many, you know, we... 700 you know, years, uh, Muhammad. 700 years there. Yes, seven, 
700 years, what about 800 years in Spain, Shabbat? We've lost the hey. port altogether in Spain. We, we, today we look at Spain and you wonder, where's the hey. remnants of Islam? Should they not have been so much more? So Allah knows best. I mean, they could have been fervent about the religion. They could have been practicing their religion. Somewhere along the line, Allah seems to have replaced them with other people. Um, I'm not sure, you know, you, you hear very many stories about the condition of the Muslims. They deteriorated in Spain, and it's for that reason that Allah replaced them and had them removed. But Allah knows best. Of course, in India, uh, you must remember, and even from Dawa, we find that the people that have the most uh, or the most difficult to talk to about Islam are the Hindus. I found from my experience that the reversion rate from Hinduism to Islam is actually not as high as Christianity to Islam. And I think particularly they've been brought up to believe that, you know, Islam is really not the religion for them. And it doesn't seem to be, I don't know from your experience, but from my experience, I don't have that approach that I could have with a Christian. A Christian is more receptive to talking about the oneness of God, is more receptive about talking about the Quran and the Bible, but I'm not get, I don't get that. So they could have been, but Alhamdulillah, notwithstanding the fact that before the partition of India and Bangladesh, India and Bangladesh, I found that, um, of course, the Muslims were the majority and they were the sultans and they were the leaders at that time. And millions, millions of people accepted Islam. I mean, before Islam had come there, we were predominantly an idol-worshipping people. So notwithstanding the fact that there's one billion people in uh, in in Indian in India, uh, if you have to take bring incorporate Pakistan and Bangladesh back into that, there would obviously be maybe 1.5 billion people, but at least 50 percent, 60 percent of that total population would have been Muslims. But because of the division of India, you found that the Muslims exodus had taken place, and in Muslims in my India became a minority. I think the figures are currently India, Muslims in India is 20%. So, of course, that's a low number of Muslims compared to what it should have been. But remember, the British division actually created a major problem there for the Muslims. And they had decided to make Hijra and migrate to Muslim safe land. And Allah knows best, you know, that's the situation. Some of our families, your family, my family chose not to go. And they still reside in India. But it, I can imagine it must be difficult now from being a majority to being a minority. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, also being in a rulership position and so forth. Uh, but you find uh, that the uh, Modi government has, uh, you know, um, uh, done a big uh, somersault on the Muslims. At one stage, I believe that the BJP used to actually beg uh, Muslims to join them. And, uh, you know, uh, they said that we'll give you the freedom. We need more of you all to vote for us. Uh, but it seems as if, uh, you know, the BJP have, uh, have sent 80,000 uh, soldiers uh, to their, uh, to Israel to fight in Gaza. I mean, this unholy alliance between the uh, Hindus and the uh, uh, Zionists is absolutely, you know, amazing, uh, Muhammad. So uh, there's always been an alliance, as long as I can remember, between Israel and India. I know that, you know, they share a lot of information, IT, when I was in Goa, I was even informed by my taxi driver that a lot of Israelis come to Goa to holidays and it's, you know, a major tourist attraction from Israel. So, yes, I know and when Modi goes there, the red carpet is obviously thrown out for him. But um, the reality of the situation is that we as Muslims need to learn and to know 
that we have no loyalty except to Allah as Rasul and to the Muslims as, as, as a whole. We cannot ever consider then these Mushrikeen and these Kafirin as our brothers and our sisters. Look at today the situation politically uh, in Palestine, which the, the, the non-Muslim countries have sided together on this axis of evil, and they are ruthlessly, mercilessly killing our brothers. We have difficulty even trying to garner support from the Muslim countries. How much more difficult is it going to be uh, uh, to, to get the support of the non-Muslim countries? Alhamdulillah, for what it's worth, uh, we have, fortunately, Minister Naledi Pando, who's been very vocal uh, uh, with her position and Delco, and as a national position, we found, alhamdulillah, at least, you know, we can call on certain senior members within political spectrum to support our case and our cause. But unfortunately, it's a drop in the ocean. We need much more than that in order to be able to rally support and to come together. But uh, Allah tests us in many ways. We have to then uh, carry on and, and you know, rely on Allah for, 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 for His help, His salvation and for victory at the end of the day. Gee, Muhammad, and whilst you're talking, my mind went to Dr. Zakir Naik, and he was having a mammoth success over the Hindu population because he knew the Upanishads, the Vedas, and the Bhagavad Gita. And, you know, he actually told them, Kuna, A.K., A.K., Sachi, A.K., he learned the vernacular. And, I mean, he was converting them by the millions. And the government had to jump in, Muhammad. Yes, I mean, you look at the success for him to bring together one million people to listen to a talk is a huge effort. I mean, me and you are realistic people. Today, if we want to have a Muslim conference, you may, even if you bring the top speaker, you probably would get like you get in an Ijtima 30 or 40,000 people maximum. Even yet, you have to stretch it, possibly 40,000, but to get numbers more, more greater than that is virtually impossible in this part of the world. But I understand, and I met him, alhamdulillah, when I was in India, and we had quite a lengthy discussion, and we discussed some of the dynamics of doing da'wah around the world. Um, I was hugely impressed for what, uh, what an operation he was running in India at that time. You know, he was, his officers were in Mumbai, and um, he had something like, if I remember correctly, 200 staff members. He had the school, and he had, uh, uh, he had a few investments already, and he was catapulting very quickly. And I think that was, uh, you know, uh, this is very personal opinion. I feel that was part of the problem because at the same time, I to say, uh, uh, this simple person was now drawing in millions, if not billions of, of rupees and dollars into the country. He was acquiring now a huge following. People were very supportive. But at the end of the day, what was he doing? is that he was converting Hindus en masse to Islam and, and Allah gave him success and his Tikama. It was a very difficult situation in the face of a, of a majority Hindu population. And you know the Hindus have no patience for us as Muslims. We see it Qurbani time, we see it when we want to have our religious holidays, how antagonistic they are to us. So, you know, I, I feel that he, he, at some level, he probably knew there's going to be some sort of a backlash, or at least I hope that he could have seen this coming. But unfortunately, they blocked his accounts, they froze his uh, opportunities, his business interests, the schools and everything. So it did come with its toll at the end of the day. We, you know, we need to be wary that we, or as I said earlier, that we should never ever have 
as confidants, those people that are not Muslim, because it's very easy for them to turn against you. In fact, there's a verse of the Quran, that the Jews and the Christians, specifically in this verse, Allah says, that they will not be happy with you until you follow their way. So that's the reality. Until we don't believe in Jesus Christ, as being the son of Allah, then of course, you know, they will, they may appear to be your friends, but that's just a short term solution. The long term solution, take it from the Quran, is that they are not your friends. Do not confide in them. They are not your confidants. These are the lessons that was revealed to us 1400 years ago and will continue to manifest through till the day of Kiamat. Yeah, Muhammad, and you went to uh, uh, and met him in India. I met him in my office and uh, it was a uh, Marhum Yusuf Ahmadi that brought him into my office. I remember, uh, you know, being at uh, the editor of D that, and he said, uh, Shafat, give him some lessons. And I looked at uh, Yusuf D that and I said, what lessons? They said something about comparative religion. Talk to him. So when he came in, and uh, you know, he he had this impediment. He was a, a big stutterer in initial stage, uh, st- you know, stages. And, uh, you know, I looked at Yusuf, I said, you know about Yusuf, I'm finding it difficult to understand him. And uh, that was it, uh, Muhammad. But look at what Allah did. He made this guy a world, I mean, a world figure. And I'm just wondering, but uh, many years later, when he came back to South Africa, and I was, you know, I said, uh, let me go and sit in an audience and chair. But he actually made me out. He says, hey, brother Sapath, how are you? <laughs> Alhamdulillah. But Alhamdulillah, you know, now if I want to meet him, I have to make an appointment, Muhammad. So you may not even find him because now he's just all over the show, but you know, obviously not doing it on that level that his Peace TV was able to promote him. Uh, I know he goes to Middle East, he goes to West Africa, he's in the Far East. Um, in fact, uh, my partner uh, is in India at the moment in Brooklyn, Malala Pando, and he was trying to meet with him somewhere in Malaysia or Indonesia or and uh, that didn't materialize. But the reality of the situation is when you talk about stuttering, I think, you know, we will look at the story of Musa, salam, where he actually makes the dua. We know from the Sira that uh, he was actually a person who used to have an impediment in speech. And he made the dua, Rabbi Shrahli Sadri, wa yastirli amri, wa halul lisani. And he asked Allah to remove the impediment from his tongue. And uh, when the person does the work of Dawah, there will be very many obstacles along his way. Sometimes Allah puts the impediment of speech like uh, Sakir Naik himself admitted that he used to stutter because he was unable to give talks at any level. But Allah SWT opened it such that he spoke to a million plus people at the time. And we all need to make that to one that no matter, firstly, that if there is any impediment, it is only Allah that can remove the impediment. And number two, let us become people who speak the truth and the haq. So that when we do stand up and speak, we speak nothing but Quran and Sunnah and this is what our religion is established upon. So yes, we all have those certain impediments. I myself personally, I was not very confident in the early years of speaking. And it is through people like yourself that mentored us and brought us to a different level that today we could host a radio show. And inshallah, inshallah, the idea is so that people can benefit from what we, what, what we're able to, 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 to afford them. But more particularly in this life, our term is short. We try to take advantage of whatever opportunity avails itself. But the hope that at least something at least if one of the things can get accepted in the court of Allah, maybe that could be our salvation in the year after.
No, you make a very valid point, and you know, our term, our lifespan is very short. You can look into the tapestry of history. There's so many people that came on this earth. Ibrahim salam lived for a hundred years. But the fascinating thing is, Ibrahim salam lived for a hundred years on this planet Earth. But if you look for his stories in the Noble Quran and the Quran, which is uh, uh, gives you the mother of all stories, uh, you'll find uh, that uh, Ibrahim salam's uh, uh, you know stories are there for uh, maybe a maximum three pages. But the ultimate uh, story of all stories are uh, being that of uh, Yusuf alayhi salam, 111 verses, but a masterpiece. And did that call it a masterpiece in journalism, uh, Muhammad? Alhamdulillah. So, you know, the Quran sets itself apart, head and shoulders, before any other writing on the face of this earth. And as a Muslim, we have total yakin and total reliance that that is the kalam of Allah, and we it is uh, it compares to nothing on the face of this earth. So without a doubt, and yes, um, Ibrahim alayhi salam, if I'm not mistaken, Shafat, um, you could correct me, but uh, I was informed that he left 140 years. In fact, when he was, he only reached, uh, his first son was only born when he was, I think, 83 years old. And, you know, he saw his, uh, that was Ismail. And of course, Ishaq was born many years after that. And we know that, you know, he saw Ismail through his marriage. Uh, so there was definitely, I think it's over 100 years, but be that as it may, the remarkable thing is that Allah mentions some of these prophets by name in the Quran, and very many of the prophets were not named or unknown to us till today. But from those prophets who are mentioned in the Quran, there's always some life lesson for us to remind us about the brevity of life, to remind us about the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to remind us about the difficulties of being thrown into a well, abandoned by your brothers, going through trials and tribulations all alone, and um, and then at the end, Allah then allowing for the mercy, His mercy to descend where Yaqub alayhi salam and the children of uh, uh, the brothers, the siblings of Yusuf alayhi salam come together in that beautiful story, to get the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam, coming also from a background where his father, other used to make idols and how difficult his challenge was to talk to his father, but with the highest level of respect. Ya Abati, oh my beloved father, although his father was a non-Muslim, how he, what love and what kindness, knowing that his father's not going to, or, or rather hoping for his father to accept his message, but knowing what a difficult conversation is going to be, but uh, the lessons for us, so all of us are going to have challenges and trials and tribulations and we, some of us are going to have it more than others. It may be that some of our own family members need to be spoken to about Islam. But uh, the reality of the situation is that we take full advantage and cognizance of Allah's mercy on us, and we try to share this with people that are non-Muslims. And that's the thrust of the da'wah, interface da'wah that we do. And alhamdulillah, this, this, is, this is for us um, what keeps us motivated and grounded at the same time. Gee, Muhammad, and, you know, you look at the first uh, generation of uh, Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, you know, companionship and all those that were around him. And all of them were reverts to Islam. They, uh, they, they had to make a choice whether to stay with the paganism or to accept the Jinul Islam. And Alhamdulillah, even Khatija Radhiallanha, coming from a Christian background, made an informed choice and she chose uh, Islam. You know, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've noticed that uh, many of us, uh, maybe our da'is uh, fail 
to bring that issue up. And, you know, uh, it, I mean, I was uh, talking to a group of uh, reverts the other day, and I, I noticed how startled they were when I said, you know, Khatija came from this background and the, the companions around the Prophet came from that background, and they were shocked. And they said, you mean to I said, yeah, they had to make a, a, a decision, uh, Muhammad. Your thoughts? You bring an excellent point in, you know, it's, we don't hear and come across very often from our Muslim speakers that, that, that actually make this analogy of the Sahaba in the time of Jahiliyyah. And of course, the sons of the people of Jahiliyyah are well known today. They were murdering their infant daughters, their baby daughters. What a heinous crime. The Quran even talks about it. They used to drink and imbibe alcohol. And the other day I was listening to the story of, uh, of, of Badr and, you know, when the Mushrikeen were setting an army, they weren't only going to fight. They said, let's take the singing girls, let's take the alcohol, let's go make the party because the Muslims are only 300 odd and we'll take a thousand people, we'll outnumber them. So the, the, the Jahiliya came right through. We know that they were not the best of people. Like Ahmadidat says, the, 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 the Persians passed them by, the Romans passed them by, thinking to, what a pitiful people these Arabs are. Let's not even waste our time on them. And that's the reality. When you total failures, they were worshipping idols, they were committing the worst of sins. But yet it is Allah that took the same people and made them, after the Ambiya, made the Sahaba the best of people on the face of the side. So much so that even the verse of the Quran has testimony on that. And Allah says, Radiallahu anhum wa raduan, verily they are pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with them. So without a doubt, we, unlike the Shia, we accept the fact that these were the best of people. Nabi Sallallahu identified and chose the best of people to be amongst himself. And, 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 and today we talk stories and we relate. And more importantly, our Islam is taken from them. If it was not for the efforts of the Sahaba and the Tabi'in and the people that came in the first generation to bring Islam even into India, Allah knows best what our conditions will be. So very early on, Islam had then spread out to the known world and uh, many generations were then transformed uh, into Islam. And how everything we do, we know for a fact that those people that were instrumental, all the good that we do, are getting an equal reward. So that is why the Daraja has reached a different level because they will continue to receive the reward of the actions of the Muslims only because they went out and they educated and informed and did dawah and invited people to Islam. Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah for that. And also, you know, you're looking at this uh, new scenario that's happening in this dunya where, you know, find uh, that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, he's uh, using uh, verses from the Bible to attract uh, the uh, Christian world and, you know, to ask uh, for the uh, solicit uh, the help and they say they should be praying for Israel and so forth. But the irony of the whole situation, Muhammad, is that they didn't accept the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom the Christians are so, you know, ardently and so, you know, emotionally attached to. Uh, perhaps, you know, a rebuttal can be given there by us Muslims and tell them, are you sinning against your own intelligence by believing this man, Muhammad? Without a doubt, you know, um, the first uh, the thing is um, uh, uh, that, that uh, 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 the first thing we need to uh, understand is that the Jews were very corrupt from the early years. They were a nation who disobeyed Allah after having given obedience and allegiance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were a nation who killed 
messengers in one day, they say up to 70 messengers would have been killed by these Jews. And the Quran bears testimony and say that they killed their messengers. So they were a corrupt nation even before the advent of Isa So Allah sent messengers after messengers and how he favored them and how he gifted them in so many ways. But they were a disobedient lot. And the Quran bears testimony to this. And even when Isa came, even by his their own writings and their own scriptures, we know for a fact that they abandoned him as a prophet. In fact, they tried to kill him. And uh, unfor- unfortunately for Isa unfortunately for the Deen, Allah then raised him and took him up to himself. Now, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the thing is, Christians and Jews are both apart in terms of their religion and deification of Allah. They, of course, Jews call themselves monotheistic, and as much as Christians believe that they are monotheistic, the Trinitarian belief system does not allow for, for, for it to be incorporated in Judaism. So there's an innate hatred for Christians by the Jews. In fact, if you go to West Bank and Gaza, you will find that the Christians are being treated just as badly as the Muslims are. If you go to Bethlehem and you go to the Church of the Holy uh, Church of uh, Nazareth, that's according to Christian belief systems that where Isa a.s. was born and they built the church over it. The same Christians that are busy managing those churches tell you without a doubt that our situation here is very bad. We are treated extremely bad and I've seen it without a doubt. So as much as that ben, 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 Benjamin Netanyahu makes these public statements, the reality is every time Gaza is being bombed, there are Muslims that are dying. And there are Christians that are dying. The world does not see this. The Christian world does not appreciate the fact that the Muslims are defending them. The Muslims are the ones that are giving them support. And um, I hope the world can realize at the end of it that the Jews are not their brethren. Do not rely on them. Unfortunately, you know, we, we, we're seeing it every day how the Christians rally to support um, Israel and they believe that, you know, they actually support him. But uh, there's, there's definitely something short in that formula and that equation. Christians need to open up their eyes and understand that it is only under the Muslim rule that the Christians were saved. It is only under the Muslim rule that the Jews themselves were saved. When they were kicked out from every other country on the face of this earth, the Muslims still took them in, harbored them, allowed them safety and security. Even after, after the Nazis and Hitler tried to persecute them and annihilate them, the Muslims still gave them refuge in many parts of the Muslim world. And um, even in Morocco, until recently, until the last 50 years, there was a huge, uh, 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 I think a couple of million Jews that resided in Morocco, and eventually they moved to Israel when Israel was established. So yes, their memories are very short, and they forget what opportunities the Muslim had given them for the last 1,000, 1,400 years. Yeah, there's some of them that uh, make a noise. But also what is startling in our context is, uh, you know, when Tutu went there, and he was quite vociferous of uh, saying that uh, what is being implemented in the Zionist state of Israel was worse than apartheid. And uh, even uh, Naledi Pando was... uh, refused a visa, I believe, and another member of parliament also, he wasn't given visa to visit the country. And it's amazing that we still have, uh, you know, the ambassadors exchanging ambassadors with the country. And, uh, you know, the point to make here is, Mohammed, yeah, in South Africa, the ACDP uh, actually sides up with Israel. And, you know, whatever Israel does, they are very 
uh, vocal about that. And also, you know, the party like DA, you know, where the allegiance uh, lies and people are talking about different, uh, you know, conglomerates here or different uh, uh, supermarkets which have a heavy, heavy allegiance uh, to Israel. And then we have uh, people from this country going to Israel with dual uh, citizenship and actually fighting for the IDF. The point to make here is... Uh, you know, you find uh, this happening in our country, and then in your uh, very near to you in Norwood, we had this uh, Zionist uh, uh, attorney. I think uh, she's a uh, attorney, yeah, that uh, made uh, such a fool of herself by taking on uh, the inhabitants of uh, the that area. Uh, those were pro-Palestinians, and I, I don't know if you saw the clip. Her her, her behavior was uh, shocking. I mean, it sounded like someone from uh, a, 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 or she l looked as if someone from uh, that came from a mental home, uh, Muhammad. I think you know those people that go and support the IDF need to be charged criminally because they're taking part in terrorism acts. And uh, if it was a Muslim that had to go and then fight in a uh, particular jihad, I would have thought that they would have jumped and arrested him without even consideration. But um, the situation is uh, unreal to find that South African citizens now can actually go and join that. Whilst Muslims, we find we have that fear and we have that concern about our safety and well-being. We should be actually more uh, eager to want to go to Palestine and support the people. But Allah knows best. You know, we only make at this moment in time, uh, we, we the best that we can do is support them and provide assistance as best as we can and make dua that Allah gives them victory because at the end of the day there is no victory except through Allah's victory that's the first thing and of course you know I briefly just watched that clip about this lady in the car and taking on the Muslims and you know insulting the Muslims and uh, I think you know this is this is a, a shame to have even in our midst this type of outburst and as criminal charges should be laid against this person because you know our country is supposed to be respect for religion dignity and, 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 and morality at the same time. So definitely uh, uh, something to consider for us. But uh, at the end of the day, the world is very temporary. You know, uh, we have, uh, today we up, tomorrow we down. Tirka, uh, uh, the Quran actually talks about it. Allah tells us that sometimes you're going to be up in life, and sometimes you're going to be down. Sometimes you're going to be the victorious, uh, victorious army, and sometimes you're going to be overpowered. But this is all, all from the qadr and the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have to understand that we're living in an environment that we are going to have these constant struggles. And Allah made it such that we are living now at a time where Jerusalem is overpowered by the Yahud. And for many years, the Muslims didn't have that. So what is our response going to be? At the very least, we should have the concern that our Muslim brothers and sisters are being killed and we have to, you know, there should be some fire burning within us at the very least to say that, you know, this, uh, we need the help of Allah, especially in this particular time. I don't know if I told you this, uh, Muhammad, uh, but the late uh, Sheikh Didat uh, Rahimullah said this, uh, if each Muslim of this world, you know, the population, we have such a massive uh, population. I mean, he said this many years ago, if you only had to spit on Israel, each Muslim, it will sink in your saliva. But look at the, I mean, what type of signal is leadership sending out uh, to these, uh, you know, these Westerners? They say, I mean, you guys are nothing. That's why we can walk all over you, Mohammed. Very sad. The political situation in the world currently, in the Arab world especially, is something to be embarrassed about. 
what this Abrahamic Accord that made itself known a few years ago, where the consulates and the embassies opening up in the Muslim world, with them allowing Israel then to trade, with them allowing Israel to fly over these countries. I think it's something that we should have, we, you know, in our hearts at the very least, because we are unable to do more at this moment in time. We should have a hatred for that type of behavior. We in our hearts should have this wallah and barah, that we love you for the sake of Allah and we hate you for the sake of Allah. So these are open enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them the highest level of respect and opportunity in their time, but they took full advantage of that and they turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in reality, they are the enemies of Allah and they have become our enemies in the process. So um, we, we, we appear to be very despondent. Our situation appears to be very weak. Yet at the end of the day, we're supposed to be two billion Muslim strong army around the world. Unfortunately, a few million Jews captivated us and controlled us and captured us. So much so that we have become weak and we've become like the foam of the ocean. As the Vesalism says in one hadith, he says the Muslims will be plenty, but they will be weak like the foam of the ocean. How easy is it to just push the foam of the ocean aside? This is what we're coming to this day and age. Now, you know, even uh, doing dawah, sometimes, uh, you know, we are diplomatic and uh, we navigate through and we read our audience and we give a word in season. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I, the, the other day, a Pakistani friend of mine was telling me that he had a relative there in uh, Seattle, somewhere in the U.S. And, uh, you know, she was uh, brutally murdered because of this, uh, you know, she showed uh, uh, support for the Palestinians. And uh, then uh, in, in, in another part of the UK, uh, if you're wearing your kufia and you, you know, the baya, they are going for Muslims because they say, you know, you're child killers. And the, they got the wrong end of the stick. And this, uh, you know, the Zionist propaganda, which was all, you know, AI generated, is uh, really, you know, something that we have to seek, uh, seek a refuge from, uh, Mohammed. Very much, you know, it's uh, obviously we hear of these incidences around the world. In the UK, USA, I've heard about it as well, where uh, neighbors have now been pitted against each other for this situation. And it may turn like that in parts of the world. There's no guarantee that even in this country, we as Muslims who are a minority, that there could be some voices coming from Christian quarters, Jewish quarters that spark unrest and differences and never protect us against the situation because we don't know what our, our own community is. You must remember something. And this I've spoken to senior Christian pastors. They say that the level of religiosity in South Africa is amongst the highest in the world. It means South Africa has a, a huge number of religious adherents. We have Christians who are devout, and you bear with testimony if you just drive around on Sundays, you see how some of these church groups, church groups gather by the rivers or by the ocean, gather in parks, and they, they, they sacrifice the whole day in dedication to their religion. And like that, you know, the Jews are very strong. Uh, a huge number of Jews are settled in this country here, and they're up and down holding dual citizenship and support, support of Israel. We ourselves as Muslims, we, we, I believe that, you know, we, we're faithful to our religion and we're strong adherence to our religion. Most of us, alhamdulillah, are not just Muslims by name. We die for our religion. We have, we have our libas, our clothes, our appearances, are that of Muslims. And it could very well then, you know, uh, spark off into civil unrest and Allah protect us against it because we don't know what our own condition would be. Look how volatile our country is. We just have a little bit of looting 
and we're scared to walk in the street. So we are living in a, a very uh, a flammable situation. And I would say that, you know, uh, Allah protect us because it could happen if it's happening in so-called first world countries. And we need to be conscious that it's only because of Allah's protection that we today have an opportunity to practice our religion. And we pray Allah keep it like that. Well, you know, I was thinking aloud, uh, you know, you and I know many academics and uh, we talk to them quite often. And, you know, they swear by the book written by, uh, you know, Samuel Huntington, where he talks about the clash of civilizations. And he deliberately, you know, puts up uh, the uh, Muslim world against other, you know, so-called civilization, uh, civilizations. And you can feel that now they were the rhetoric that the Zionist media is using. They're using all these uh, tricks or these uh, wordings of uh, Samuel Hunt, uh, Huntington. Why? Because the West has already been programmed to get ready for the clash of civilization, but uh, the devil is whispering and uh, making this a, a, a reality, Mohammed. See, without a doubt, I think, you know, there'll always be turmoil. If you look at what Nabi Sallallahu has told us about future events, signs of Qiyamah, we're living in the situation where the Muslim Ummah is many as we are, but the, our condition is weak. Our condition is such that we'll always appear to be the underdogs in, in life. And this is going to continue until the time of the Jal, when the Kuffar and especially the Jews are going to become the superpower because of the uh, because of what Allah has given the the Jal, the power that He's given the Jal. So it's going to be trying times for us as Muslims, but this is part of our deen. This is the struggle that we see continuously uh, against the, with the non-Muslims. Is such that Allah tests us every day. And first of all, do we have reliance on Allah? You know, they say the Jews may have weapons, but we have Allah on our side. And that is such a deep statement because it means that even if you look at Badr and Uhud and these battles, they had Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and they were victorious in Badr, although they were outnumbered, although they were outgunned, so to speak, Allah still gave them victory. And when we come to Uhud, and I'd like to use the correct terms, while the Muslims were up for a time and then when it appeared that the situation was turning and they were outnumbered. What happened is that Muslims did not turn out to be as victorious in Uhud as they did in Badr for one reason. And understand this point, Shabbat. Nabi Sallallahu gave 50 archers a responsibility. When they disobeyed Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then the azab of Allah came on them and they were overpowered by the Kuffar. Had it been, and Allah knows best, and it being that they, so, 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 so the lesson to, to learn out of that, don't obey Allah, don't, uh, don't disobey Allah, don't disobey Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, because as a result of which you could then be uh, the losers at the end of the day, like the, uh, the archers who disobeyed Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and as a result of that one move, although it was, they say, 30 or 40 archers, a small number of people, as a result of which the whole Muslim army then got defeated, and overpowered because of that. So the important lesson that Allah taught us on the Prophet is to not despair on the mercy of Allah, don't despair on the power, but more importantly, to not disobey Nabi and by doing that, to not disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as for us as Muslims, we need to consider what is the condition of our own Islam? What is the condition of our own Iman? If we make Islam and we correct ourselves, then definitely the help of Allah will come unto us. And if we can do it, and every Muslim can consider doing it wherever he is in the world, without a doubt, without a doubt, the kuffar will be nothing in front of us. 
Yeah, Muhammad. Uh, is, uh, this, uh, I did approach uh, many Muslim businessmen, and I told them, you know what, um, do two things. Do dawah and uh, do business. You know, Allah will give you barakah. And some of them say, no, 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 you know what, uh, the priest come in the shops, uh, in my shop, I don't know, I hurt his feelings and so forth. How you, uh, you know, tackle people like that, that, uh, you know, instead of, uh, you know, preaching and giving the message, they're more afraid of offending uh, a person that's on the wrong uh, track. You know, there's so many ways to give dawah to people without actually confronting them on that. Uh, the, so, so, for example, you know, we, we interact with non-Muslims and sometimes the guy will say, please give me a glass of water. And you see him drinking with his left hand, for example. So you say, you know what, it, it, it's actually quite funny for me to see you drinking with your left hand. Because in Islam, we drink with our right hand. And we drink with our right hand because our prophet said that we're drinking, uh, one, uh, that the devil himself drinks with his left hand. So for that reason, we as Muslims drink with our right hand. And we opened up a conversation in a lighthearted way, in an easy way. And we opened up a dialogue and a discussion. You'll be surprised. The people of the class, those same pastors and priests that you thought were, were that were resistant to your discussion, are the same people now enjoying a discussion. And alhamdulillah, over the years I've had that, so much so that I used to have a strong um, Christian pastor that used to come and debate me for years, you know. And one day out of the blue, Allah made it such that, you know, his heart opened up. He needed something, and I assisted him with what he needed. And, you know, he said, how much must I pay you for this? I said, this is my favorite to you, my brother. He said, really? He said, you know what, I'm so taken aback by the, 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 your generosity. And, you know, over the years, we've always had our to's and fro's, and we had our discussion. And um, Alhamdulillah, the same day, he accepted Islam. And he, I use him uh, in my dawah, you know, and I want to, uh, to encourage people to say that don't worry about him being a religious scholar. It's the same religious scholars that will turn, uh, that turn in, become Muslim and we would be able to benefit from their opportunities and their experiences as Christians becoming Muslims. Brilliant indeed, uh, you know, uh, Attorney Saab. You know, we've been, uh, we got a bit carried away, but Alhamdulillah, it's a divine decree, and we hope and pray that our Creator, our Sustainer, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, will be pleased with us. And Inshallah, the listeners of uh, Marcus Sahaba have, uh, you know, uh, benefited uh, from your company also this evening. But uh, moving on to the topic uh, that we had, uh, you know, penned on, uh, secret NGO companies. And, uh, you know, this is uh, becoming a big talking point, and uh, many are concerned. How do we address this, uh, Muhammad? And, you know, the secret things, and if you no notice uh, the type of uh, trustees they have, hey, like they have 10-star uh, uh, names. Uh, go ahead, uh, Muhammad. <laughs> so, Jay, uh, uh, you know, just from a legal perspective, so obviously, you know, um, a, a, a non-profit company was previously known as those Section 21 companies, which we were used primarily for the purpose of community work. So, for example, if I want to open up a feeding scheme, I know I'm going to be collecting funds. I need to open up a bank account. The SARS wants to know what my income and my expenses were, what my salaries were, what type of uh, what type of expenses and salaries I'm paying through here. So, you need to establish that by way of a legal vehicle. And now we have non-profit companies, and these non-profit companies are primarily structured so that there is some level of tax avoidance, but more particularly is that it provides a service to the community. 
So if you have a burial society, you know that you know your town needs to open up some sort of an entity so they could help with the expenses and the income and you know assist Muslim families. That's the purpose. Generally, people would have non-profit companies, and of course, you know, uh, Islamic organizations have to open up non-profit companies for various reasons. I can't say particularly on the one that's making the social media. I don't have full knowledge about it to say what was the purpose. And I'm looking at the names of some of the directors of these companies and big shot names. But Allahu A'lam what the purpose was. This company is over 20 years old, established. Um, it's in final deregistration. And of course, we don't know if they ever used it for what particular purpose because the name seems foreign to me and the activities as a result seem unheard of to the general masses. But I don't know if you know more information about that. They could assist me in this, uh, Yeah, this is why it uh, needs to be interrogated. And uh, in the, the Quran says it, Kulhatu burhanukum in kuntum sadikin. We need to have the proof. We need to have the Burans. But, you know, uh, let's um, interrogate it, uh, you know, on uh, superficially. And uh, perhaps if a cartel gets together and, uh, you know, decides to open NGOs, but they go around uh, speculating and buying properties and getting into, uh, you know, supermarkets and so forth, uh, opening car companies. Uh, I mean, can uh, I mean this is uh, highly illegal because uh, sometimes uh, you know you you get these are uh, people that uh, go to widows and get their money uh, and take it away and you know and these uh, people are left uh, stranded and sometimes the monies are put in uh, so-called institutes uh, that have a reputable name. But when the money is gone, no one helps anyone, uh, Muhammad. Okay, so Saad looks very closely at non-profit organizations can actually tax you for profits if it appears that you are turning it into a profit-making uh, institution. So yes, whilst you know your objectives, aims and objectives need to meet non-profit objectives, that's community-based organizations, organizations that provide a service, religious institutions, there's obviously going to be some tax incentives for those types of companies because it does. it's not for profit. At the end of the day, your masjid is not being established so that you can turn it into a money-making organization. I mean, I was involved with a, a non-profit travel agency for many years. And, uh, you know, you, 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 the purpose of it was initially was so that you could use it as a platform to take people for Hajj and take people for Umrah. And it needs to be kept on that particular line. And if you go outside those lines, staff can actually turn around and say, they're going to now tax you because it appears that your aims and objections are, are, objectives are no longer community-based, non-profit. It seems that you're turning this into a regular travel agency for the purpose of making money. And similarly, you know, with any Islamic organization, your majid collect funds to pay for salaries, water, electricity, uh, pays for other expenses. But the minute you start turning it into a money-making operation, then it, uh, it's, it's no longer a non-profit organization, it appears that there would be profits that are achieved or achievable in, in this particular company. So yes, from a legal perspective, you know, if you, 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 you're trading on very delicate ground and it needs to be considered very carefully and uh, they could get themselves into hot water if you're not managing this type of companies for the purpose it was set up to be. Muhammad, I don't know if you recall uh, the first Islamic bank uh, that was uh, established in this country. And I know, you know, many of my family members, I told them all, hey, what a wonderful thing, invest here. And all of them, hey, suddenly all my aunties were screaming at me and shouting at me. <laughs> you know, when it started going down. And many lost their money there, Muhammad. 
unfortunate, I remember it was in the 1990s, late 1990s, and the uh, Islamic Bank, and uh, the, although the Reserve Bank monitors it and provides insurances, uh, at the end of it, it was only a maximum of 50,000 rand that people could immediately receive, and then it went into a pool, and based on that, you know, but the reality of the situation is there seemed to have been a lot of nepotism, a lot of corruption also involved with that. As young as I was, I still remember that, you know, uh, people, there was an abuse of the banking roles and responsibilities. And that was unfortunate because as Muslims, that was the only thing that we had so many years ago that we could actually pool our money and be confident. And there was a level of acceptance that's regulated and monitored. So our money is safe and these people were the whole in a manner and responsibility to us. So yes, I think it was, it became a deep hole for, for many families. Many massages also had invested money and they left their savings and left their accounts with these particular banks and they got into a lot of financial trouble. And that's unfortunate because we saw it recently again with Habib Overseas Bank also going into this type of liquidation and then people losing huge amounts of money and people getting into financial problems where I was getting calls, I can't pay my salaries, I can't pay for my petrol now at the end of the month. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you think to yourself, you know, the biggest victims in these scandals are the Muslim communities. The biggest losers for Islamic Bank was the Muslims, and for the Slater Bank as well is the Muslims. So do we have the confidence now to empower our own people? Whereas Islamic Bank was supposed to be now our local boys, so to speak, our local brethren who would be able to take and look after our money with a manner and responsibility, due diligence like how the conventional banks do it. Unfortunately, today we have more confidence in the Kufar banking system than we have in our own banking system because of its own flaws and because of the own nepotism that exists within the banking structure. So yes, I, you know, we hang our head down in shame and say that, you know, so many families became victims, uh, unknowingly, uh, unfortunately, become victims of corruption, nepotism, favoritism, collusion, all these things, all these negative connotations associated with it. And we become the laughing stock for the bank, of the banking industry to say, these people can't even be honest and they can't even look after each other's money. And, you know, this is the state of Muslims. So, yes, it's unfortunate. And we have to then, you know, we have to look at it today. All the other banks have opened up Islamic divisions. All the major banks has Islamic banking in their, uh, in their banking systems. Why? Because they know the value of the Muslim wealth and the Muslim investments in this country, and they know the extent of what we are able to do. But yet our own people couldn't see the opportunities that it, it, it was afforded to them. And this is the net result that families have lost their wealth and Muslims and communities have lost their wealth. Give it any label, give it any name. Bank is usury. It's a riba system. And you know what? The label won't change it. Mohammed, you were absolutely, mashallah, this evening. I enjoyed your company. Perhaps uh, your parting words uh, before we let you go. Gee, Jazakallah, you know, uh, you mentioned about Dawa in focus. The thing is, at the end of the day, all of us should be Dawahis in our own strength, in our own capacity. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi that you know, transmit from me, talk about me, even if it's only one verse. So we use this opportunity, each of each and every one of us. Shaykh Ahmed used to say, if each one of us spits, then we'll drown the uh, Israel. And that's so true. I say, if every one of us, two billion of us, can go and consider talking to one non-Muslim every day, 
you can turn two billion very easily into four billion. But um, uh, hidayah comes from Allah. We do what we can, and we leave, leave the rest to Allah. So Jazakallah, once again on this beautiful evening, you having me as a guest, and to the listeners for having the patience uh, to go through me for one hour. So once again, Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to our attorney Hafez Muhammad Kubadia. Really great chat indeed. And Allah keep him now and forever. Ameen summa ameen. Yes, I really enjoyed uh, the company with uh, Hafez, uh, attorney Hafez Muhammad Kubadia. And uh, things to do, you know, when uh, you are confronted by anyone or anyone that, uh, you know, makes uh, things look very good and say, no, don't worry, you may get a reference from a brother that you trust. But all these uh, people, you remember that many people have been taken by uh, for a ride by many, many individuals whom they thought were squeaky clean. So whenever you do this, uh, make sure you get a first, first, second or third opinion and then uh, make an informed decision. But, uh, you know, when you trust anyone, put your implicit faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all of us in the, this dunya to do what we do for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and may Allah make it easy that uh, when uh, we please him, it might be in the manner that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most and uh, inshallah make special duas for those uh, that are, you know, under oppression in the, the Muslim world and also those uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given such a, you know, amana and such a trust of taking care of the ummah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make them more powerful and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them the hidayat to do their duties in a manner that also pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Time for us to go for a break. Actually, time for us to go for the Isha Azan. And inshallah, after that, we will be uh, with joining you on Truthful News.